to Talk L&D, um, episode two, um, back with myself and Alex. How are you doing, Alex? Yeah, okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Just, uh, as I, I was saying, just I'm running this through my mobile phone today because the Wi-Fi has conked out. So that <laughs> that was unfortunate just at the moment. But anyway, it seems to be working okay. But, you know, if it is a bit glitchy, that's why. Lockdown, <laughs> lockdown challenges, um, yes, which is kind yes. of perfect. You've got a challenge because we're going to talk about resilience today. Mm. Um, as I think it, Alex and I were discussing that resilience has been a bit of a buzzword in learning development and leadership for the last couple of years. Um, gets to, you know, it can get a mixed kind of review from people. Um, I was actually on the phone to somebody recently talking about webinar and I was talking about resilience and he was like, oh, they did a resilience webinar where I work and didn't go down very well. Mm. Um, so we just thought we'd talk about resilience, what it means, why is it important and actually how can we become more resilient? What does it look like in our lives? Um, and actually this weekend I discovered um, he's like a bit of an endurance athlete called Ross Edgley and in 2018 he did the Great British Swim. He was the first person to swim all around mainland Britain and it took him 157 days swimming 2,883 kilometers. Pretty mind-blowing. He set a couple of world records and um, in the videos he talks about the importance of resilience because each day he had to battle um, the ocean and the currents and the weather, lots of jellyfish and he never not quite knew what was going to come at him and he talked about smiling through swimming and just having gratitude and the importance of that resilience of no matter what happened he had to just keep going in order to achieve his goal um and it's very inspiring very motivating um and i just thought i'd mention that as it's so fitting for what we're talking about today resilience um, yeah that's quite an extreme example isn't it that's <laughs> yeah. you know it's basically being able to keep on swimming when your when your body is falling apart yeah i mean he had yeah. some pretty brutal like his he had salt mm. tongue, so his tongue was yeah. like falling apart. And then he had like oh. this thing called rhino neck where he got like a big cut in his neck from his wetsuit and then had like jellyfish on his face. Yeah, great. Um, great. <laughs> just, oh, but amazing, like, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, incredible. Like he, ran, oh. he swam 12 hours a day, every day for 157 yeah. days. Like, and he had, yeah. to, he had to eat something like 15,000 calories. Oh yeah, like, I, I suppose that's some compensation. Well, I don't know. I think after a while, it would, yeah. I don't know that i'd like that after a while you wouldn't be it's not about enjoying food is it it's just about getting the food in yeah uh, <laughs> peeling peeling off the jellyfish and getting some getting some food down you yeah, yeah but incredible mm. what an incredible um, oh, yeah. achievement just phenomenal and shows anything is possible you know the human potential is, the, is huge that's the thing isn't it it's you know you look at all of these stories about you know overcoming extreme adversity and it shows what people can do when they when they really have to when they really really have to i mean arguably he didn't really really have to do that but anyway he must have had his own reasons you know there must have been some real driving force to do that um but but here we are you know grumbling about wi-fi conking out you know when when people um people can do such extraordinary things and do you know do regularly mm -hmm. i mean you know, there's the things we hear about, but then there's, you know, people um, rise to cope with unbelievable hardship mm. and suffering and, and, um, and striving, you know, yeah, human potential is unlimited, isn't it? Yeah, and I think on that, I, I worked um, with refugees in the past and some of the stories I heard from them are probably still some of the most inspiring stories I've ever heard, just the, the things that they go through. 
and then they come here and they just determine to make a better life for themselves. And over time as well, I think if you're resistant, if you're if you are resilient and you persevere over time, that's the thing. Is how you that's how you achieve really extraordinary things. You know, and you can build that that really positive life for yourself. So it's resilience over a long period of time. You know, mm -hmm. just sort of constantly pushing and striving and working away, and that's how you tend to be successful. You know, yeah. We yeah. were doing a you know our story writing. Uh, we're doing a story writing session and our tutor simon hall who i think we're going to yes. invite on to it yeah, yeah. what he said one of the things that um, i liked the most was um what do you call a writer who never gives up published <laughs> <laughs> yes persistence. the power yeah. of persistence yeah that's right yeah, yeah. Mm. um yeah i i had a little theory uh, created a few years ago called the power of 2p and the idea that all you need in life is 2p um, you know, it's like you see a 2p coin, it doesn't mean much, but actually passion and persistence, mm. you're passionate about what you do and you're never, you're not willing to give up or fall at the first hurdle, you know, you can, you can get great things. And actually sometimes they say that sort of, you know, thinking of entrepreneurs and things like that, the people that have done really well are the ones that never give up no matter, mm. no matter what. Mm. Yes. Um, what is really, we talk about resilience, but what actually is it? Mm. That's a hell of a question. <laughs> so if I, there are two, I think I've got two different answers to that. So, you know, personality models, yep. one of them, the, the, the one that the academics like most is the big five model of personality that, you know, that there are these five personality traits. So there's openness, creativity, conscientiousness, which is propensity for hard work, agreeableness, which is being trust, trusting and, mm. and, and, frank, and not nice to be around um extroversion which you know outgoing and all that yeah. and the last one neuroticism so neuroticism is sensitivity particularly sensitivity to criticism and so the other side of that that last trait is emotional resilience mm. so if you score highly on that trait of neuroticism when you do the person that you you're very sensitive and you're probably not very resilient if you score low it suggests that you have high level of emotional resilience so there's one argument that says it's in our personality and there's 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 that sort of whole, whole theory of personality and, and 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 that sort of thing so so that's that may be part of this it's so it may be that on one level um resilience is is, is a personality trait you know um and, and and there may be combination i think you know born or made probably a combination of factors in terms of you know genetics um the influences that of early childhood you know how our parents what parent did you have a parent you and try to keep you safe all the time and protect you from the world or did you have a parent who you know encouraged you to go and go out skateboarding and cycling and you know take mad risks and fall out of trees and i suspect there's probably <laughs> I, I think there's probably an element to that you know uh so that's that's one side of it personality the second bit that my second answer and i said it was a big question so i hope you don't mind i've, I've got a second, a, second, a, a second point is that i sort of make it what i've been thinking about because you, you know you said yesterday let's talk about resilience and, and i was mulling it over last night and i was thinking is it always is resilience always a good thing because i was um i was reminded of so so when we were kids we had this cat called ralph and he was an, a really nice cat 
and um, we lived in Dartmoor initially when we were really little, so you know, right in the middle of nowhere and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, for various reasons, when, we, when I was about 13, we moved to a town called Biddeford in North Devon, and it's suddenly uh, Biddeford's still a sleepy little town, but, you, but compared to Dartmoor, it was it was a it was a, it was it was an absolute thriving metropolis, you know. And we took, of course, we took this poor cat with us, and and so Ralph, you know, talk about a, a change. So Ralph had gone from being strutting around; he was this sort of alpha cat in um, Dartmoor, and then he comes to Biddeford. We, we move house, and he spends two days hiding under a sofa making every and every time we try and encourage him out he makes these terrible yowling noises (laughs) (laughs) and of course quite right too because actually he understood his environment in Dartmoor you know he'd spent his whole little life prowling around and making it his own and then he's ripped out of the known and into the unknown he's in chaos he's in he's in Biddeford (laughs) (laughs) and um and so he he kind of gets this this he's, 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 he completely transforms and and he becomes this terrified little creature you know frozen petrified in fear for two days before we start to be, get and tempt him out with cat biscuits and and then he very slowly starts to sort of sniff his way around and sort of um, starts to kind of get to know his environment and he starts to make it his own slowly by slowly almost room by room and then eventually he wanders outside and he can. And he, he goes, but he always stays really close as he, as he slowly builds up his sort of understanding of the world. Because of course, actually, if you're a small, fluffy cat, he's he, in, 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 in Dartmoor, he knows there's, there's nothing that eats cats, that he knows he's, he's well, it, it, as far as Ralph's concerned, there's nothing that eats cats. So he's strutting around and he's fine and happy as, happy as can be. And then he's in Biddeford all of a sudden, radical change. And suddenly there might well be, in fact, there probably are things that eat cats just, you know, everywhere, everywhere that's not under this sofa. So what, 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 what I suppose I'm thinking of that is there is that actually resilience. I mean, obviously it's, it's a bit risky using a cat and basing this theory <laughs> on on uh, on the experience of this of, of this 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 um uh, rather unstable cat but um but but what i what i think that represents is how actually the start point is to be really quite frightened of things and the emotional resilience happens when we start to learn and understand the environment that we're in. So after a few months, Ralph was back to his old self, you know, prowling around the place, fighting off invaders, you know, other, other cats, you know, he'd, he'd, every now and again, he'd come back with a big scratch where he'd obviously been in a scrap with another tomcat or whatever, but he was back to his old self, but it took a few months to get there. Mm. And it was just by slowly building up his understanding of the new world that he was in, that he, he became resilient again. So what I suppose what I'm thinking of there is that actually our start point is fear and neuroticism and anxiety and, neuros- and resilience is, is learned when we start to build up a picture and an understanding of the world we're in and we, and we start to sort of trust that there's nothing out there that's going to eat us. Um, now, going back to your, 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 what was the man who swam? Was there a guy who swam? Ross Edley. Yeah, I just think that his his comprehensive. I guess he's just on a big. He's just on a big adventure with that. But but to, to to do that and to be able to do that would suggest that your kind of sphere of understanding of the world is pretty massive. So that actually, if you 
if he was doing operating quite comfortably swimming around the country with jellyfish stuck to his face and all that sort of stuff <laughs> his his understanding he, he had just built up a real i'm guessing he must have built up a real strong and clear understanding of the environment and, and himself within that environment but i think i think that that may be close to the truth and personality that resilience is learned um, as we build up an, an understanding of ourselves and an understanding of the environment that we're working in or operating in. Yeah, interesting. Definitely interesting. That story of your cat, actually, I think is quite yeah. interesting because they sometimes reference resilience and your ability to deal with change. Um, and obviously that's exactly what was going on there. It's like, actually, there's this big change and yeah. how adaptable are you to it? And I think, um, you know, I think one of the things is if you've not really had much change in your life, it can be more, you know, human beings are creatures of habit. Once we get in our routines, we kind of like to stick to them. And I think if you've not had experience of much change, you know, and you see it in organizations, the people that have been there for a long time and sometimes haven't had much change and then all of a sudden you throw a change into the mix. It's like, whoa, Whereas people that have been through a lot of change, they're almost like, okay, right. I kind of get this. I've just kind of got to roll with it. Um, and it's almost like um, a tolerance, if you like, of being able, to, how tolerant are you of, of change and what's mm. your mindset? But, but I think, but I think you're right. It's, it's got, I bet, but, but that's right. So exposure to it mm. builds that tolerance. So I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that someone's resilient or not resilient. I think mm. that it's a, it's a learned, um, tr maybe learned trait perhaps. So, but yeah, so, so the more you're exposed to change, the better you become at it. I mean, there, there is, a, I think there's another thing as well with that, you know, about finding yourself in a, in a um, challenging environment is that if you if you put yourself there as a willing volunteer well you're sort of, <laughs> that's having an adventure that's like yeah. a gap year isn't it that's one thing that could be pretty exciting i think it's when you're 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 thrown into those situations mm. not of your choosing that yes. it's a different story and again so so i think that's that's really the the test of resilience i think doing something as a volunteer is 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 significantly different to finding yourself thrown into these um, crazy situations where you're 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 around where things are kind of you know you've yeah. lost that order and control and you're suddenly in this strange new world and that happens I mean that's you know that 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 might be a geographical change but it might also be um, you know losing your job yeah or, yeah definitely or, you know partner your partner um, announces that they've been having an affair for five years or you know these sorts of, and and, and these, when these things happen it's just sort of like that you know I mean happily I have to say that's um, I don't have direct I don't have um, direct uh, experience of either of those things but certainly you know a, 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 a number of my clients do and um, mm. and I think it's, it's like having the uh, the rug pulled out from under your yeah. feet you know yeah. I think that's a really that's, good point actually because it's like when you choose you're still an element of when you know that you're going to, let's say, you know, we've both ultra runners and we've done mm. some crazy distances and you mentally can prepare for that. You're like, right. Okay. I'm going to put myself through this. And, you know, I ran a hundred miles a couple of years ago and mentally I had to prepare. And part of my mental preparation was it is going to hurt. Like this yes. thing is going to hurt Louisa. And you are going to have to push through that pain, no matter what, no matter how painful it gets. If you have to bloody crawl to the finish line, you were going to crawl to the finish line like, and you can mentally yeah. prepare for that. And because, I accept that challenge. I accept yeah. that challenge. And I yeah. knowingly, I know. Yeah. 
slightly crazily i'm putting myself up for that but i think you're right i think when life throws an unexpected challenge and i've i have experienced the other side of that where life throws unexpected challenges you know from so many different things that you're like it comes at you and you're like oh man like what what but i think i mean I, i guess in some ways when i look back to growing up we moved house quite a lot and at the time i'm really like oh move house again but actually now as an adult i'm kind of quite grateful for it because i realized it made me quite adaptable to change because i was kind of like oh here we go again we're just moving house again and so it kind of made me realize that actually i think in a way it made me quite flexible and almost like when a change happens you kind of go okay well you just kind of have to get on with it um, and I feel like I'm quite grateful for that, those experiences now, because I think they've made me more adaptable than I would have been had I not had that. I, I, I think what you get from those experiences, so a bit, big changes, but not of your choosing, so not adventures, but, but, but big, and, big and unfortunate changes are going to destabilise you. And they probably should. So it's probably good to be destabilised because sometimes it's better to be, to better, it's better to hide under the sofa. <laughs> because there really might be cat-eating monsters out there, you know. So it's a, it's actually a, pre, a pretty sensible response, you know. Mm. Um, but the uh, the important thing when you move house a lot as a child, I think that you you build the tools and the mechanisms to quickly begin to explore the new world and um, and, and and order it in your own mind. So so I think yeah, I I don't think so. I don't think yeah. Be I. I think uh, I've never to think about this thought because I think this is this is where I am with the whole thing about resilience is that just being incredibly brave all the time and not feeling any fear or anxiety is daft. <laughs> I mean, that's just stupid. That's where you get yourself. That's where you get self eaten. Um, what what what's important is having the tools to uh, to, to develop an understanding of, yeah. of, the, of the new situation that you're in. So. I don't think that's resilience, though. I think that that's. I think that's about being really good at self-managing. It's about having, you know, having having the um, the compass and the map and the emotional intelligence to sort of navigate yourself quickly in, in new environments, which yeah. is which is very much practiced. Yeah, but, well, I think yeah. the other thing they talk about resilience sometimes isn't it, is your ability to bounce back from something. Mm. So when you fall, yes. how quickly can you get back up? Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important. You know, and I think in you know in organizations in leadership in life we're not always going to get things right we are going to fail because and actually if you're not failing i would say you're probably not pushing yourself or like living much because failure is a part of life and i think in resilience they also talk about when you fail how do you deal with that how Mm. how can you pick yourself back up or is that it you just shut the door and go no Mm, that was too painful for me yes i'm gonna go and i'm gonna go and hide myself away yeah yeah um yeah that's not good that's not good it's that bounce back ability isn't it yeah, yeah. be like a bouncy yeah. ball you just bouncy um, ball yeah. bouncy ball be a bouncer but not <laughs> like a big burly security bouncer but are you a bouncer mm. in in life i think that's um i think uh i really in i mean it's the film batman there's a line he said what and and um the butler said to batman he says why why do we fall so we can get back up again and I just think it's uh, really, I just, I kind of like that line. It's a bit cheesy, but I, I like I, a bit of cheese every I, now and again. <laughs> I, I think so. I think, yeah, I think that's right. And certainly for the most, a significant majority of the knockbacks that people get, that's so important because mm-hmm. 
you know if you're actually if you're pushing yourself in your career or your sport or whatever you know actually it's like there's an old saying in, in ultra running you're not an ultra runner until you've had a did not finish you know uh because um because if you're really pushing your limits you've got you're going to fail so failure is is is, is an eventuality yeah uh, so so and that's that's where we get to the growth mindset you know which is the ability to really learn from be open to learning from failure rather than from then go, you know backing backing away from the world and going hiding under your sofa because you feel like you've you've gone as far as you could possibly go you see the growth mindset is that you know when you have those knockbacks you um you you kind of go through a process of learning so that you can do better next time yeah 100 percent. actually interesting my first attempt at 100 miles i dnf and i'm really yeah, like yeah. i'm not going to run ever again and then yeah obviously once pain because i i've done 60 miles and a dnf and once i sort of recovered from it i was like no mm. i'm still going for that and mm -hmm. i think for me it taught me some hard lessons and i hadn't the reason i dnf was mentally i hadn't prepared enough like physically i think it was all right but mentally and also some of the stuff that had been going on in my life at that time i just mm. hadn't hadn't thought about it enough and then when mm. i went back I, I did so much more mental preparation and i and i did well, it this because that's so so you know so what got you through the second time then so so what did you how did the how did the first dnf help you to succeed the second time so i think um when i look back that race i did that race after an incredibly stressful probably one of the most stressful weeks i had um, and i woke up and mentally i was drained and i'm thinking oh you know and i woke up with this like i don't think i've got it in me so straight away mentally i told myself i don't I don't know if I've got it in me. Um, and I think I'd been so distracted by this other stuff that I hadn't fully had my mind mind on the thing. And I think what I really did the second time round was mentally, I did so much more preparation. So while I was physically training, I was also visualizing the finish line. I was mentally thinking, right, this is going to hurt. And you have to be willing to push through that pain because it is going to hurt. There's no two ways around it. Running 100 miles, you're not going to hit pain barriers. Mm. And it was also just sort of like the week before, making sure that mentally i wasn't tiring myself out and that i was every day visualizing that finish line and just really really getting my mind in gear just as you get your body physically prepared by training doing your runs and you um you know resting it was doing the same with my mind they're so interconnected and yes. in ultra running we sort of say that you know physically it will get you so far but men if you don't mental you don't have the mental strength you won't you won't finish an ultra because Mm. That, that i'd say probably it's like 40 percent, maybe even 50 percent mental 50 percent physical there's a yeah there's, a, there's an old joke in the fell running community isn't there that it's um 90 percent men let's say so was it it's 90 percent psychological mm. and the other 10 percent is in your mind you know yeah, i think you've got to believe before you even get to that start line you've got to believe that you can finish that race if you go in there thinking i'm not going to finish it you're already losing and i think the other thing as well is when you do races it's breaking it down so if i at the start line went right i've got to run 100 miles right now that's overwhelming so i always break it down so i was like i've just going 10 10 milers so i just focus on the first 10 miles i was like oh, i've done 10 miles and then like second 10 miles so every it was never really thinking about i've got 100 miles to do it's like right i've just got to run 10 miles i've just got to run 10 miles so breaking it all down because then it feels far more um, achievable. And actually, something, go back to Ross Edgley, he talked about 
don't focus on the outcome, focus on the process. Because if you focus mm. on the process and get the process right, then mm. you'll get to the end goal. That's right. And that's I was like, right. yeah, that's, oh, that's really good. That's, that's really, really good. right. And yeah. I remember um, when we worked, when I worked with sales, sales teams, the sales director was always talking about sales activity. He's like, don't focus on the sale, focus on the activity. Because if you do the activity, the sales will the sale will come. And yeah. I was like, yeah, it's all that that's kind right. of. That's yes. that stuff and and you know i think also when you think like that the joy is in the journey because actually once you get to the finish line it's over but actually the magic happens when you're on that journey because that's yeah. where you're learning you're growing you meet people and that's actually right. i think sometimes in life we get so focused you know we're quite goal orientated um sort of mindset it's kind of like you focus so much on where you want to get to but actually you miss the point that actually the journey is really where the joy is because that's, that's where you can that's, grow, that's, that's right. develop yep. and meet new people, have these experiences. And actually when you get to the goal, you'll often look back and go, wow, that whole experience. And it's not, the finish line is just mm. the end point of that whole journey. Mm. It's, the, it's, the, it's the working towards the goal that matters more yeah. probably than, and, and a lot of the time people I think achieve their goals and then are a little bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know because then it's like oh you know so what next what's next what's next you know yeah exactly and if- i've got one more thought on resilience as a really practical thing that i came came across and it's a uh technique that's used in cognitive behavioral therapy actually which of course you know is sort of very similar to what we do, a lot of the tools are very similar to what we do in coaching and mentoring and that sort of thing. And the, um, but the, I, I've used this a little bit when I've been coaching, um, I had a client who had a terrible fear of public speaking. Oh, wow. And um, I was sort of trying to sort of work out the best strategy, you know, to, to, to support them. To, and of course, of course, you know, actually had to, that, you know, you, you get to a, a point in your professional life where suddenly these things become really important and the ability to do it with a degree of fluency is, is a fairly fundamental skill. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's an essential skill. And so, so this was really holding this person back. So, so that for them, resilience was about having the courage to stand up and speak to like a, um, a, a bunch of senior people in their business. And they're uh, and they're quite quite a corporate business, you know, quite smart and several in in, in, in suits and uh, quite traditional, so quite daunting. Um, and I went to the you know that my sort of uh, go to for this sort of thing was Albert Bandura, who um, was all about uh, you know he he did a big experiment where he trained people to get over a fear of snakes, and. Um, and, and what he what, what he did, he, he developed this, this idea of exposure therapy. So what you have to do is you have to go and do it a little yes, bit, yes, just yes, a little bit. Yes, you have yes. to do it voluntarily, but you have to confront your fear voluntarily, yeah. but not by. So he didn't say you'd go and sort of, um, you know, uh, you wouldn't necessarily go and start pick up a, a, a cobra or something like that. But what you might do is watch somebody else handling a, a snake and then next step is you might get a relatively placid thing like a well-fed python and give it a little stroke <laughs> or something like that and then by the end of his like a three hours of therapy he had people who had who had started out with a terrible phobia of snakes after three hours of little steps where they would voluntarily do things with a lot of coaching um they were being photographed with a python around their neck and all this sort of stuff which is unimaginable 
at the start point. So I went to that with this client who had this real fear of public speaking. And so it began, you know, what's how do we use that snake thing as a metaphor? And mm. how do you volunteer? What do you do? Well, how do you feel about speaking to two people or three people who you know quite well, who are supportive? Well, you know, that's okay. So, right, go and do that. Go and do that for a little bit. Go and speak to three people. And then it's like, how how do we make this a little bit more stretchy? What's the next level? Well, um, going speaking to a slightly bigger group where you don't know the people quite so well. It's like, well, so how do we create that situation or that predicament? So it's resilience. It's it's like it's like the cat coming out from under the mm-hmm. sofa and sort of exploring the world. Just but 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 a room at a time. I think mm-hmm. I think that's a really useful way of looking at resilience. It's how you. I think you have to do it voluntarily. Because I think that's important. It has to be the adventure rather than the crisis situation. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's how you just step by step confront the things which frighten you or daunt you. Mm. But just a little bit of time, then come back, have a bit of an evaluate and then go again. But a little bit more, a little bit harder. You know, if you've got a fear of public speaking, we'll begin by speaking to one person and then work your way forwards from there. And then, of course, actually over time, and it does take time sometimes, you get to the point where actually you've built yourself up so that you can talk to uh, that group of senior people. But, but it's almost like um, climbing a ladder, you know, or, or a staircase. And sometimes you can have a little slip backwards as well yeah. if you do have a little bit of a knockback. So, so that, I think, is, it for me, is, is how, as a practical thing with resilience, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's about working out that, that, that um, staircase and then quite deliberately and voluntarily doing the things that frighten you a little bit building your tolerance Build, yes that's building right. tolerance mm-hmm. um so would you say that's a great sort of way in that if people wanted to become more resilient if you like that's a great strategy i mean it sounds like a great strategy that people yes. can use F- that's to- right F- find a thing that frightens you most and take a one step towards it voluntarily yeah, the baby, see, steps. See what ha- baby steps see what happens baby steps. yeah i think that's that's yeah. like a great strategy and i think mm. also once you sort of begin to take those steps you realize they often say that fear is actually bigger in our mind than actually yeah it is i mean yeah. you know a lot of the fears we have are fears that we have built up in our minds and then when you face them they are right. not as bad not so as bad. we think they are and, so and it's yeah. actually quite liberating and i think it's a really important point you made there about that journey and we talked about sort of um you know when when you're reaching a goal it is a journey it's it's you know focus on those little because if you've got a big goal you're not just going to get there you've got to break it down into small achievable small achievable chunks um and so do you think like if people sort of did those kind of small steps um of challenges that that would help if they overcome that that could help them if then life does throw them a crisis do you think yes i do because i think that resilience and courage sort of they kind of generalize so up to, up to a point i think that if you become bolder and braver about confronting one phobia or fear or thing that gives you anxiety i think that generalizes to every area of your life so i think that yeah you don't just so so if you've got fear of public speaking and you and you really work on that and you become more resilient towards that particular thing and you become braver and, and more comfortable about public speaking that won't just be limited to public speaking yeah. that will be a positive change in you that will impact every area of your life you know maybe confronting a bully or uh, 
you know, there's other things. It's, I, I, yes, so, so my answer is yes, I think that um, if you begin to um, develop yourself by tackling the things that cause you the greatest levels of anxiety step by step, then you become a generally braver and, um, and more resilient person, yes. Yeah, ready, ready, ready for whatever happens next, and and so that when when then the change chooses you, and you are thrown into that sort of chaotic situation, not of your choosing, you've got the t- you've built the tools yeah. to reorganise your understanding of the world. Yeah, a bit of, you've got a bit of a strategy and a toolkit. You've got the toolkit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's brilliant. You've, had, you've come up with some brilliant stuff today, Alex, on sort of resilience Ooh. and thank you. Your I, toolkit. Thank you. So I just wanted to sort of um, sort of come towards the end. So. You know, we talk about resilience a lot. We've talked about in leadership and organisation. So why do you think resilience is important in leadership and within organisations? Oh, I mean, that's a a question. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, when you look at at the moment, uh, you know, in the moment, I think, you know, if you're a leader or a role model, and um, so, you know, coronavirus and, you know, businesses suddenly in quite a lot of jeopardy. And uh, so, so mine was, you know, my tra- training industry, holy moly, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was it was it was scary for a few days, actually, until we started to get this, you know, te- aligned with technology. And, um, you know, I think that you are going to go. So even as a leader, a human being, you're still going to go and hide under the sofa a little bit. But I think what you have to be able to do is come out quite quickly and start to, to problem solve. And um, so I think you have to be prepared and willing to come out and start to solve problems and, and build some order and structure, not just for yourself, but for your team, so, mm-hmm. that, so that actually they will come out of the safer as well. And then things, actually, when you start doing that, things get better, they just start to get better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna work, if a business or an organisation isn't going to work if everyone hides on the sofa. And I think it's, the, <laughs> yeah. the lead, what the leaders have to do is they have to be the first people out of the sofa, mm. creating a, de- a degree of security, creating new structures, a new order for others to then follow and so that they can start to build again and be successful. So, so to be the first person out from underneath the sofa, I think that's, that's, the, that's why leaders do need to be resilient they need to step up to the plate when that radical change that you're not expecting happens because if you're not going to do it who is you know yeah yeah i think that's a great analogy there i love that the first one out from out of the safe i think that's yeah. brilliant <laughs> it's um and i think you know that's that is 100% like being a role model if you you know people are looking when people feel unsure or uncertain they're looking to their leaders for some reassurance and to know that everything's going to be okay and you know i think i guess for a leader you know you have to have that tolerance for the change and tolerance of and understand you know that's where we talk about self-awareness and leadership knowing what your fears are and how you manage them because that will allow you to be able to come out from under the sofa um, as soon as as soon as as soon as you can i think the first step is it is it's actually being prepared to manage your fears yeah rather than just running away all the time <laughs> you know the easy the easy path and i think that's that's probably the leadership thing is um is seeing threat or problems and being prepared to run towards them rather than run away from them you know yeah yeah um, it's like that leader in a battle isn't it it's or, like or, i'm here or, in front 
not run towards them, maybe walk cautiously <laughs> towards them. Yeah, I think I, I love that. Do you know what? I think that's a great, I love that coming out of the sofa first. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I remember as kids, you know, you have a, sometimes you have a hierarchy with siblings and it's kind of like you look to your older brother to be like, is it okay? Are you going to go first? You know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really relatable way to put it actually are you going to be the one that comes out and checks what's going on first yes um, I, I owe that cat a lot actually <laughs> please it taught you a lot but <laughs> yeah. it was it was just priming you for consultancy yeah. before you even knew it <laughs> good old good old Ralph yeah, yeah. um so we've talked a lot today about um about resilience so we've kind of talked about Ross Edgley and his great British swim mm. and we've talked about um Sort of resilience and how you can set yourself a challenge which you're in control of to build your resilience but then also we get the life challenges that just come out of nowhere and can blindside you um but actually you know it's about building that tolerance to change and fear and if we are willing to do a bit of work on facing our fears baby steps at a time that can help us face those fears but also help us develop resilience so that when another life crisis can blindside us we have a bit more things on our toolbox to go, oh, hang on a minute. I remember when I faced that fear that time, maybe I can use some of those strategies um, strategies now to help me get through this, this situation. And then we've talked about the importance of it with leadership, being the first one to come out of the sofa and check the situation and leading by example and, and reassuring your team um, and being able to adapt in times of change, such as you know, leadership is never more important than what we've been going through this year with the coronavirus um you know it's i think it's probably put a lot of challenges to leaders out there at the moment um and we've seen we've seen a complete mixed array of types of leadership and managing change through this through this time i let other people make their minds up as to mm. um what good approaches are <laughs> not from what they've seen um so so yeah i think that's been some and you've talked about sort of um theories about the big five and then um sort of you know, from childhood, you know, whether you just develop it through your experiences. And I think that's a big thing, really. I think we've kind of established that resilience is something that was built through our life experiences. Um, and the more we sort of have a diverse range of life experiences, really, I think that's where our resilience comes in. But it's not just about unexpected life challenges. We can put ourselves in situations that will test us and pushers and stretchers that can help yeah. develop that resilience oh, totally. and, and it's, yeah and, and 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 we become you know competent um resourceful you know valuable people who are useful to have around yeah you know that's right exactly so it's and it's the general and that's a very general comment i think that's all aspects of life i don't think that's it's not just work it's no. you know it's not just that and it's not just that focusing on that one problem or, or, or cause of anxiety i think this is very generalizable to the how you live the whole of your life you know yeah and i think the other thing as well that we talked about was being able you know resilience is being able to pick yourself up when you fail yeah. or when you fall um and i think i'm just going to throw in there angela duckworth wrote a book called grit and she talks about um basically like determination and persistence can actually outdo intelligence in terms of success and mm. she did various studies and she was looking at um the the navy seals wasn't it in america and how the ones that get through 
not actually the ones that on paper look like the best candidate. What comes out is people that actually have that determination and that willing to never give up. And I think, you know, if you look at entrepreneurs, I'd probably say a lot of entrepreneurial people that are very successful have a lot of grit because they will have to have come up against barriers, come up against failures, but it's about their willingness to keep going. And I think, you know, that connects to a number of different things. It's one, how able are you to pick yourself up from, from failure or um, face your fears? But I think, um, you know, having that ability just to keep, to keep going. Um, I think there's a growth mindset, which I think Alex mm. and I will talk about in another, another session. Yeah, but I think let's talk about that next time. Yeah. The power of grit is, is something I think it's sort of becoming more, you know, I think that's why it's because resilience become a bit of a buzzword. Cause I think people reference it a lot to success these days of that willingness to just not give up when things get hard um so yeah just getting getting in touch with your grit yeah that's right very yeah. good um yeah. so yeah i think is there anything else you want to add to today's talk on resilience alex i i think the, the growth mindset is going to be a good future topic to look at because very topical you know my eight-year-old gets was getting taught it in school and uh i think i think that need to uh, we need to have a closer look at it so but let's do that next time shall we yeah that follows on quite nicely from resilience yeah it's a growth mindset so so thank you very much everybody for listening it's great to to have you hope you've enjoyed it if you've got any thoughts ideas you want to share with us just get in touch and um check out the next episode which will be a growth mindset following on from resilience so thank you very much thank you